Every one of us, in our own mind, have a different perspective of what we consider a mountaintop experience. Because yours may be different from mine, and what you expect, and what you go through, and what actually happens, and how you perceive it to be. Some things that bother you may not bother somebody else, because everybody's different. A man by the name of Jonathan Edwards, they say that his audience got chills as he delivered his famous sermon that he preached, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And he went up and down the land preaching that one sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Now, I read the sermon all the way through. I didn't think it was that clear. But back then, that was one of the best sermons, I guess, that was going around because a lot of people got saved because of it. So a lot of people listened to him. But not everybody is this guy that can go out there and in the fields and just preach. Some people just preach only from the church. Some of them didn't have churches. They were outlawed. And so they just preached from this city to that city out there in the field or some mill that they came upon or logging camp. George Whitfield said it might be tough watching him because... He was cross-eyed. But they said that when he spoke, you could hear him up to five miles away. Think to have a voice without amplification, because they didn't have these things in those days, could get out on a mountainside and preach in such a way, with such force, that people could hear him five miles away. Man, I could do that, and you'd be lucky you could hear me across the street. But they... But not everybody's the same way. Charles Spurgeon was called the Prince of Preachers. In London's Metropolitan Tabernacle, it was the first megachurch. They have megachurches, that megachurch. In the world, with 5,000 seats and standing room for another 1,000. They said when he was 19 years old, up to 15, 20,000 people would come out to hear this 19-year-old kid preach when he was 19. He didn't have all the stuff that we have today. He didn't use all the, you know, he didn't run a bus ministry. He didn't have the printing press. He didn't have all the things that we had. He was a 19-year-old kid and just preached. And beside all of that, he smoked a Greek old black cigar. Today, that would be, you know, you don't do that. But he did. And he was called the Prince of Preachers. And there's people today all over the world that still read and preach his sermons. He has a whole collection of the Treasury of David where he went through the Psalms. They still put his sermons in all kind of periodicals all over the world. And yet that was a long time ago. But he was a different kind of a man. Not everybody's the same. And yet every man has times when they consider that they're on the mountain peak, but yet every man has valleys that he has to go through. There are times in your life when you just don't understand and you're ready to throw up your hands and quit. So you need to, in your darkest moment, live like you're on the mountain peak. And the only thing you'll have to pull you through is your knowledge of God. He promised. Caleb remembered 45 years ago, God promised. And he was expecting God to keep his word. And God did. 
God delights when we have come to the place in our Christian life where faith is born in despair. When you don't see how you're going to make it happen, but you believe that he will, and you trust the Lord for it. A man by the name of Robert Moffat made this statement. Well, I should say this. He spoke one day at a place called the University of Glasgow and spoke one day to a nearly empty room and there was only one student that showed up and sat on the front row. Charles Spurgeon. Thousands. And this man, one person showed up and sat on the front row. After he preached his sermon that day, he felt like the biggest Failure of all time. I am only good for one person. Buddy, I am not very much at all. But you know, out of those thousands that went to Spurgeon's church, most people don't know any of them that came from that ministry. They know Spurgeon. This one young boy that was sitting on the front row, Robert Moffat, preached became a missionary and went to Africa, and his name was David Livingston. You ever heard of him? Almost all Christians in every Bible college knows of David Livingston. And he was that one kid that sat there on the front row while this man poured out his heart for one person. How important do you see yourself? Are you too important for one little kid in Sunday school? Or one little kid in Awana, and all I had was one kid. Did you know that a block building is put together by one block, and then one block, and then one block, and then one block? One person here, one person there, one person here. You know what? Yesterday, or maybe it was Monday, I got a phone call. I got several of them. In one day, within a couple hours of each other. And John John... They went to camp. Anybody remember John John? He called me up. He says, Yankee. He said, I had to preach on Sunday at Northside, the church that I came from. He says, um, Freddie Cole had to speak in some other places because of camps and asked if I would speak. So I got to speak. He says, when I came home, I sat down and I had to call you. He says, I got to thinking about the first time I ever saw you. When I came into the church at Northside and I saw you do that little wallet illustration, he said, that changed my life. My life has not been the same since then. He says, I just want to let you know I appreciate so much what you did. If your coming there was only for me, it was worth it. That one person. Now, there's been several, but at least one person. But you see, how long ago was that? Almost 20 years ago. And I thanked him, and a couple hours later, I got another phone call. This one was from a guy named Angel. You ever heard of Angel? Angel calls me up, and he was just all excited. He says, because they got this new dormitory they have, they've got to get some shuttle buses because they got to it's five miles away and they got to take the students back and forth he says and so they gave me a job driving a shuttle bus and then they gave me a dorm 
so I'd have a place to live over there at the place. And so, Yankee, how the Lord has met my needs. He says, God has been so good to me. He said, I never knew that they would give me a job. And, and I didn't know for sure that they would give me a place to live. And his wife teaches there in the school. He says, I got to thinking, and I had to call you. He says, whenever I came to Northside and saw you do the wallet illustration, he says, it changed my whole life. He said, it changed my life when I saw and listened to you. And I thought, that's wonderful. And he was all excited. He said, now let me tell you this. He says, me and another guy had to go and pick up one of these buses. And so when we went, he said, I always carried tracks with me. So I'm just passing out tracks everywhere. And I talked to a couple of people, and they trusted the Lord. And the guy that was with me, who was a student, was very impressed. Because, you know, he was a soul winner. He says, you know, if it hadn't have been for Calvary, he says, I, I wouldn't be like I am right now. He says, I am just so thankful. Anyway, we talked for a little bit, and then he hung up. And I thought, you know, if one person gets challenged and motivated to serve the Lord, isn't that wonderful? Isn't that interesting? How that you never know at some day whenever you're down and discouraged, you might be in, you, somebody might be watching you. And it might be what they see you go through might be that which causes them to get on the mountain peak and reflect back. You see, this is the Lord's work. And we are to be wherever God wants us to be and to minister to whoever God gives us to minister to and never worry about being great and big shot. Everybody puts their feet on the floor the same way. No big eyes and little U's. I'm not a big shot and you're a little shot. We're all the same. If it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have a ministry. God is a wonderful individual. But you ever heard of a guy named Jesus? You ever heard of him? You know, he was the carpenter that became a preacher. And, of course, he was the epitome. I mean, you couldn't think of a better preacher who knew how to use outlines better than anybody, who knew how to exegete the Scriptures. I mean, he was it. And, of course, Jesus, well... He must have had it easier than anybody. But let me just read a couple things to you. The religious authorities of his day were forever trying to sabotage his work. He had problems. He constantly had to deal with people with problems. His disciples often questioned his judgment. Not all of his disciples followed him because it says, this is a hard saying. Who can understand this? And the Bible says, and many of them walked away. Many of them. Because you're too hard. If there's anyone who understood the human nature, it was Jesus Christ. He knew how to use all the stories all the illustrations. There wasn't ever born into this world a better teacher or a better preacher. 
I bet when he spoke, everything was the truth. And yet his family doubted his loyalties. His hometown was offended by him. Even Satan took his best shot at him, put him to death. But he came back from the dead. Now, whenever you say, I want to serve the Lord, you're going to have to keep two things mainly in view. One is, how do you keep a focus when it seems like everything is against you? When you want to be on the mountain, but things keep trying to pull you down in the valley. When it always seems like somebody's trying to put you down. Always saying hurtful things. Trying to ruin your life or your testimony or your character. Wouldn't it be neat if everybody encouraged one another, built up one another, praised one another? Yeah, but they don't. And they don't do it that way. So you have several things that you need to think of. I want you to take your Bible and look there in this verse. This is in the book of John chapter 4. John chapter 4. The Gospel of John and chapter 4. One of the main things that I have to do, you have to do. Because it doesn't really matter who the person is, the Word of God's the same. The Bible tells us in John chapter 4 that there was um, a need for him to go through Samaria. And the reason was, is because there was going to be a woman at the well. This woman had been married five times and was living with a man that wasn't her husband. Jesus already knew that. But he also wanted to give her the gospel. And he asked for her to give him a drink of water. And she says, how is it that thou, being a Jew, ask of drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? And he said unto her, he says, if thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith unto thee, give me to drink, thou would have asked of him and he would have given thee living water. She says, give me some. Water that I didn't come to drink, that I didn't look for. Where are you going to get a bucket at? Where's this well? He says, the words that I speak unto you, they are life. The words that I tell you, they are everlasting, refreshing springs of living water. Anyway, by the time it got through, she trusted the Lord. She believed on him that he was the Messiah. So she ran into the city and told all the men. She didn't tell the women. She just told the men. And it says that, in verse 25, the woman said unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he has come, he will tell us all things. Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and saith to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did, is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. He said unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. 
that verse tells us that that which satisfies him is to do the will of him that sent me. And everything in life, if you do not have a priority, the main focus has to always be kept clearly in view. My meat is to do the will of him that sent me. So if you want to have something that can help you stay on a mountain peak, always stay satisfied doing the will of God. Never seek satisfaction anywhere else, doing anything else. The will of God should be more important and more precious to you that you'll be able to say, even though in the eyes of others, I'm in the pits of the valley, I live like I'm on the mountain peak because my focus is the same whether it's there or whether I'm here. My focus is the same, to do the will of him that sent me. Now, there's times in our life when it seems like things will let up and the problems are not as bad. But don't get too heady or high-minded as though you have done some great thing. Our Heavenly Father knows how much pressure to put upon us and when to lighten the load. But to believe that. Look there also in John chapter 17. John chapter 17. John 17 is the scripture that tells us about the Lord's Prayer. John 17 is a wonderful story about Jesus talking to his Father about us. But he also talked about his disciples. So if you look there in verse 8, he says, For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me. As a preacher, I want to give to you the words he gave to me. So I know what my focus is to do the will of my Father, so I don't lose that. So that stays straight between me and the Lord. And then for people, I want to deliver the words that was delivered to me. When I went to Bible college, as the word of God was given to me, I want to give the word of God. I want to teach the word of God. I won't forget when I was 22 with a wife and two children, leaving for Tennessee Temple. When I got to Tennessee Temple, it was on a Wednesday night. And on that Wednesday night, I was by myself. I had left bedding the kids with her parents down in Georgia. Because I didn't have a place to stay. I didn't have any money. I don't think I had more than $15 when I left Athens. But you can get a lot further on gas than you did can today. And I walked into that place, and when I saw Dr. Lee Robertson for the first time, I mean, it was a big church. And even on a Wednesday night, it was full. This was in 1964. And it was beginning to grow and take off. He had Tennessee Temple schools. He had a Christian school. He ran bus routes. That ministry 
was the epitome of all independent, fundamental, Bible-believing, missionary-minded Baptist churches. Everybody wanted to copy Dr. Lee Robertson because they could see God's blessings upon that man in that place. It was an awesome thing. As I sat there and listened to him, he reminded me of a man that I never met. He reminded me of Moses over the flock of Israel. The guy had a fantastic voice. He could sing, and he was thinking about being a singer before he became a preacher. But he gave it up, became a preacher, but he still would sing. And he had a, an uncanny way of just everybody liking them. He was a man's man. He was totally different from most people you see. When he walked into the building, you naturally just followed him. There was something about the guy that was just unreal. He built a huge, tremendous work. When I left in order to go down to Florida Bible College, they continued to grow. I went to Florida Bible College and Dr. A. Ray Stanford had a church no bigger than this right here. And up there, they had this great big college, buildings, music centers, gymnasiums. They had libraries. They had, they had it all. And they were running buses all over Chattanooga. And just to see how much work was being done. People were impressed. I was really challenged when I was there. But you know, God blesses a man, not a name. Not Highland Park Baptist Church or Tennessee Temple School. That wasn't blessed. God blessed the work because of a man. And God blesses a man. I would like to believe that I am a godly man. That I am a good man. That I am a worthy man. Not talking about being a proud man or a cocky man or filled with arrogance. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about... If I humble myself to the Lord and I keep my eyes focused on what he wants me to do with my life, as he has done for 40 something years, can I believe that he will do it yet in the future? You see, as I dreamed even back then, it's been almost 45 years. That's why certain numbers ring a bell in my mind. That if Caleb can say, I feel as good today as I did 45 years ago. And I still believe and I want that mountain. I can say, I almost feel as good. Almost. But I still want that mountain. I want everything God has for me. Whatever it might be. So I want y'all to always pray that the guys that we have on our board will seek the Lord's will, that we stay focused in order to give the word as it has been given unto us. Will you do that? Because if you don't do that and you don't pray for us, we're no better than any other man. We are strong because our confidence is in the Lord and in the power of His might. But because we're people, we can get down and we can get discouraged at times. And you need to have always somebody 
Like with Moses, remember, they had to hold up his arms. Somebody has to always be praying that God will help and God will bless and strengthen. We need that. We're trying to put together something to build something that would be wonderful for the Lord's work. We're not trying to build no monument to no man, no empire. Just simply something that God can use. And regardless of how great at one time Tennessee Temple was, today it's only a shell. Regardless of how great FBC was at one time, it's gone. We're all just passing through. We're all just passing through. And in this life, we're touching people's lives and we're, we're influencing others' lives. I just want to influence as many people as I can while I can. And I want you to pray for us that we will do the right thing and stay focused on the Lord. Look up here. This hand represents you and me. The wallet represents sin. We all have sin on us. God says that he loves us. Now, he hates our sin, but he, he loves us. And for us to pay for sin is eternal separation from the Lord in a place called hell. But he loves us and wants us to go to heaven. And to go to heaven, we have to be perfect, as righteous as God. And nobody's perfect. Nobody's righteous. We've all sinned and come short of God's perfection. So God says that we have to pay for our sins. And that payment is death and hell. So he says, your good works won't pay for it. That's why no amount of good works will ever pay for our sins. This hand represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord, God in the flesh. He comes into the world because he loves us. He hates our sin because our sin separates us from him. So Jesus Christ, who had no sin, didn't have to die. So he took all the sin of all the world and paid for it on the cross and came back from the dead. And God said, if we would believe, he did it for us. He would put this payment to our account. We get to go to heaven on what Jesus Christ did. That's the best news in the world. Let's pray, shall we? With head bowed, eyes closed, and no one looking around. If you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, friend, I urge you to do that. Just believe that when Christ died, he died for you. And if you're watching by internet, I can't see you. I may never meet you this side of eternity. But if you will trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, God said he would save you and give you the free gift of everlasting life. You don't earn it. You don't work for it. Christ died for you. It means he paid for your sins. It means that you don't have to pay for them. All the things you've ever done or ever will do, you won't have to pay for. He paid for it. And he did it because he loves you. Would you believe it? If you trust him right now, he'll save you right now and give you eternal life. And you get to go to heaven whenever you die. Our Father, we thank you so much for all you've done for us. Thank you for the opportunity we have to come together and study your word. We pray, Lord, that you'd help us to put together just the right things with the right men for the right reasons that we may honor and glorify you. You're worthy of it all. We know that we're temporary. Anything we build is temporary. But, Father, the results that we have in people's lives can be forever. We ask now your blessings upon each person here in Christ's name we pray. Amen.